Hello and welcome to Glitch Cube, we're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. As always, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And thank you so much for joining us again this week as we dive into some more games that we have found. And this week we are diving into the console, the Xbox, the original, because that console has a lot of crazy hidden gems in there that you would never or maybe you've heard of them a lot of them have definitely become kind of like cult classic style games nowadays uh but during the time they were forgotten you know left alone didn't make good sales ditched in the dirt buried in the landfill whatever it may be (laughs) and the the big problem with the xbox was it was known primarily for shooters right so a lot of games that got put out there that didn't follow that formula I feel like I left behind a little bit. And that was actually one of the like connotations I had as a kid too. I was a PlayStation kid. I never had an Xbox because I didn't want to just play shooters all day, right? And even though that wasn't the only games out there, my little child brain only thought that, <laughs> which is kind of sad. But now looking back at this, there's so many cool games that I wish that, you know, had a chance to actually check them out because I guarantee I probably would have loved them and I definitely want to play them now. And we've actually gathered three games from the Xbox that might have, you know, missed your attention. You might have never heard of or you probably may have heard of them, but never really checked them out. And they're actually little mini masterpieces and they're on outright. Maybe a couple of the games are a little bigger than mini, but yeah, there's some really, really cool games on the Xbox that we want to discuss today. But what was your were you a playstation kid or an xbox kid growing up and like which games did you kind of gravitate towards more uh in during that time frame i was definitely a playstation person um i went from ps2 to 360 though so i kind of jumped ship Mm. um oddly enough because even though like back then I was mostly in RPGs and action games or adventure, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the Xbox just, it, it didn't really, I didn't have, I didn't like the style of it. I guess you could say like, I remember when it came out and of course I was a kid. I was like, Oh, I want this. Even though like I didn't know any better mm-hmm. and I never got one, but I was always like, Oh, this is kind of fun. And I would play it like a Walmart or Sears, like at the little like kiosk they always had games playing and i thought it was cool i at the time i didn't like the duke controller it was just too big too weird i didn't like the black and white button like for some reason those buttons pissed me off (laughs) i don't know why and now i think it's cool it's a cool controller it's it's big but it's unique Mm -hmm. and uh I guess one of the reasons why I never really got into the original Xbox is that I just felt like it was a Dreamcast killer. And Mm. at that point, I loved the Dreamcast. Like, that was, like, one of my favorites. And the three or the Xbox just looked like a Dreamcast to an extent. And, you know, I, I ended up being grateful for like the 360 and stuff and enjoying the original Xbox. Like I would say maybe the past two years or so right before the pandemic, I started jumping into the OG Xboxes library and there's quite a few cool games on it, especially like exclusives to it. Like 
granted you're not going to find really any jrpgs or anything on it there are some but they're japanese exclusive so they're not translated but there are some really cool games exclusive to the original xbox and i feel like people are starting to kind of learn about them but Mm -hmm. like these games that we're talking about today you know the only, the big reason why these kind of recently blew up in pop popularity to an extent is that they're backwards compatible with the Series X. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you think back, especially the OG Xbox, like, these games? Really? Like, you guys are making these backwards compatible, yet there's, like, a couple other big-name Xbox games that they don't put on there? And uh, it's interesting, their choices, but I can I get it. Right, like you think about. Well, we'll talk about it more when we talk about the games. But to me, it's. I appreciate the Xbox for what it is, even though I didn't as a kid, and I don't really like the whole taking sides between which one's better because I feel like every other generation, the other one's better to an extent. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't like the PS3, but I love the PS4, and nowadays, like. I'm pretty equal on the PS5 and the Series X, uh, but I'm kind of enjoying the Series X just a little bit more because Game Pass just has cooler stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. I love finding these hidden gems, and definitely there'll be more to talk about uh, another episode. I already have a couple other titles I want to talk about too. Nice. Yeah, no, I think the whole backwards compatibility and Game Pass is really changing things up. And it is really interesting that these games were picked, right? Because yeah. they, they weren't like crazy commercial successes, right? But there's somebody there making choices as far as like what games get put on this list that kind of understand the importance of these games. Because I would say that these are very different style games. They are very innovative for their time, right? Whether it was graphically or gameplay or both, right? And it it's strange. Like it's nice to know that like it, it feels like gaming conservation, right, in a way, where they're they're trying to allow these games to still stay alive. Um, I think with one of them, it's a you can't really get it still, but it's you know. That's a whole nother issue, but I'm sure it will be popping up pretty soon here. But yeah, so um, let's just jump right into it. Why not? So the first game that we're going to be talking about is Otogi, the Myth of Demons, right? And yep. that is a game from from software. I'm sure you guys might have heard of that little company. Uh, they've made a couple pretty cool games recently. You know, the whole Dark Souls series and Elden Ring and all that. But It's really cool to look back at their roots because they've had their hands in pretty much every style of genre. And it's funny looking back at this game now, like the more I've been watching it, all that and like listening to some of the gripes about it, even because I did want to see why these games weren't really like as successful or remembered or it doesn't feel as if they were as remembered as they should be, um, despite actually having pretty high ratings. Um, but this is, it feels like a direct predecessor to the Dark Souls series. It feels like a proof of concept almost, right? Like you can tell that somebody in that studio really liked this punishing style of gameplay and maybe it just kind of came out a little too early, 
But Otogi was actually a reaction to a competitor and a game that I actually played quite a bit, which was Devil May Cry. And Devil May Cry was hard as fuck. <laughs> like that game was <laughs> insanely difficult. And it was probably one of the first games that I remember playing that challenging became fun. Right. And like that was a really weird concept back in the day where a, a, a game that almost felt impossible to beat can still be fun. And Otogi definitely has that formula behind it, which is really cool to see. And not just that, the graphics are really interesting to look at. The fight fighting style is actually very smooth and clean. Um, the combos are a little light, right? You can only do four hits at a time. Then your character kind of has to take a little break. But you do need to chain the combos properly. And it, I did actually like the fact that you do have to start your combos with a light attack, and then you can start chaining in different things which is really interesting. So you do have to kind of change up your gameplay a little bit there. Um, but it is a very difficult game, right? Uh, and it was probably one of the first games, or maybe even like the first games I could think of at least, where you just got one-shotted if you messed up, right? And that is such a commonplace like game idea now especially with the dark Souls series and it's so funny to see some of these older views of people talking crap about that it's like oh like i make one mistake and i just get downed instantly and i you know get game over it real quick You're like well that's dark souls bud that's what you're praising now it's so funny to see what reviewers back then were calling an issue and what reviewers now were saying are like part of the core of the game and necessary for the fun of it right like it's it's weird how our minds have shifted a little bit as far as that goes but it's a really cool title and it's i mean it came out in 2002 so a little bit older right um there there was a second one that got released as well um i forgot when that was that 2008 no it was the year after oh, it was right after 2003 okay so yeah 2003, the second one came out, and then Dark Souls didn't come out until 2011? 11, yeah. Yeah, 2011. So it's kind of funny that, like, we had those styles, or, like, that style already set up in place, but from software, has made a shit ton of games in between that time period, and you can definitely talk a lot more about that, but, like, it really feels like this was setting the framework up. And some of the other games on their list were helping set the framework up for what we have now with our Dark Souls games and the Souls likes and all that stuff. So why don't you take it away from there? I I have experience playing a little bit of the second game. Uh, it I didn't know about it in the past. I honestly I wasn't really into from software games for a very long time. I played a couple of them throughout my life beforehand but i never really realized it was them uh i think my first taste of their games was kingsfield 2 which looking at it it's like weird to think like this is like their first game you know like mm -hmm. dark souls is inspired by this like even the moonlight sword is in kingsfield from all the way back then and that's really it's cool i like when games do that or developers do that yeah, like it's just little Easter eggs throughout the whole series. And it's it's cool because Kingsfield is, it's very old, right? It's very rough to look at. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting to think like, okay, this was 
it's not the first 3D plane, you know, action game. It felt more like a dungeon crawler. And then they didn't really focus on any other game like that until I think it was Eternal Ring or Evergrace. But I feel like when they went with Otogi, it was kind of a change for them, right? Like up until that point, you know, they were doing Armor Core titles. They had their action games, but they were they were kind of all different. They were more like action RPGs, like stats, or they had the Shadow Tower series, which was a dungeon crawler. Nothing really, I don't want to say open-worldy, because they're kind of stage-based. And mm-hmm. the thing I like about Togi is that it reminds me a lot of Sekiro. And mm-hmm. with the stage-based side of it, it reminds me a lot of Neo. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because I could see the comparison the devil may cry and as someone who enjoyed the first three games a lot in that era it i can see it you know it's definitely their slower pace style like when you just watch the intro to the sequel Mm -hmm. you can be like oh this is a from software game so it's a very slow talk very slow intro like this is them all their games kind of have that. And to think from software, like post 1999 or 98, they were coming out with multiple games a year. Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays we just see a Dark Souls every couple year or a somewhat of a Souls game. But back then they were pumping out games like No Tomorrow and they were all different kinds either. They weren't all the same genre, which is kind of interesting because you'd be like well aren't they going to do this engine or something like that but it's like like this year alone when it came out there was let's see lost kingdoms for the gamecube mm-hmm. card battling game which it was cool it's another cult classic for that era you know i think for them they seem to make cult classics for certain platforms right like gamecube had lost kingdoms xbox had otogi uh Obviously, the PS2 had a much bigger amount of their catalog with Armored Core and all their other like experimental stuff. But this game was just so different compared to what they had. It was fast-paced, stylish. You know, it takes place in a alternate reality of Japan, focusing on folklore, and it's it's just really cool. You know, I can. It's fascinating to see like how they've evolved just from the 10 years between that and Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. You know, it's after I think it looks like maybe more than 20 titles between Dark Souls and Otogi 2. It's interesting how refined they got with their titles. And it's like, crazy how long from software has been around actually like really thinking about that right since 94 like yeah that's insane right like that's what is that 28 years now yeah so they've been making games for 28 years and they're still making huge games that make such a big impact that they are changing the gaming landscape like that's impressive that's really really impressive 
from a game company that almost felt like in the beginning and in its early stages, or at least for the first like, you know, 15 years of its development, that they were kind of all over the place. They didn't really Mm -hmm. know exactly where they wanted to put all their resources or a major chunk of their resources. They just wanted to make games, which is really cool to see how passionate they are about that, right? And they weren't afraid to take risks and change things up a little bit. But then once they found their formula and their niche, like they've owned that. And like from software has become Souls games, right? Like they and every Souls game gets related or Souls like game gets related back to from software. Like they've really made a huge impact that is in, kind of insane to think about. And they're definitely going to be remembered for ever, I would say. It's interesting because it's like, they kind of, like you said, they've been mostly focusing on their Souls titles. I know soon they're coming out with a new armor core, which will be interesting to see because there hasn't been a new one in since 2013. Wow. So I'm very interested to see how that has evolved um and something else i kind of learned is they had a title come out in 2018 which was a vr game uh it was like a Mm. vr horror game i think daracene um yeah never knew about it it looks kind of interesting i uh i just got a psvr so i'm thinking why not i should try this out you know like try to see how else they do games and other platforms or genres but um yeah i this game especially i can see the influences it had in their souls titles like i think the rpg elements they took from kingsfield i think the action sequences and the fighting otogi definitely and i feel like a lot of the balance and difficulty they got from kuon even though that's a horror game it has it plays a lot like a souls game when you even just watch gameplay of it you're like you can just tell it's got that same kind of i don't say engine but that atmosphere to it and i that's something i really love about them is that Aside from their mech games, all their other games just kind of, it has their touch. Mm-hmm. And that's why I really, I really like these games. Um, I definitely want to go through and play the first one. Um, but yeah, I think if anybody likes Devil May Cry or Sekiro or anything where you can jump, because I know Dark Souls, you can't really jump. Yeah. Um, <laughs> This, this is, game looks fun. Yeah, this has a lot of air combos, too. So for the people who have been playing Souls games and just really want that jump and were so stoked to see it in Elden Ring, this is a lot of aerial battling. So it's it's pretty cool to see that. It's like made for it because you like mm-hmm. kind of float. Yeah. It's weird. Which I would say is a direct exact copy of what Devil May Cry was doing, right? Like, yeah, you're super floaty in that game. I mean, you can literally propel yourself up with your guns, you know, so it. Everything about it was like chaining combos, you know, aerials, things like that. And you even get a score at the end of each level, just like arcade system style. You know, like it. it's really funny, like how many connections there are between these two titles. But I really think that it, it's kind of funny, like thinking about it. But Devil May Cry helped push from software to develop a much better Souls game. Right. And mm-hmm. to really start like putting a lot of energy into that so it's it's actually kind of interesting to think that so it's kind of cool 
something different. All right. All right. So the next game that we want to talk about today is American McGee's Scrapland. Now, this title is very interesting, a little quirky, a little weird, but it's a really impressive title for what, like, for how big the team was that originally made it, right? Like, it's it's crazy how much stuff is actually loaded into this title, and I think that's what was really, like, blowing me away. I never actually got a chance to play it when I, you know, when it first came out. There is a remaster that got released uh, last year in December, which is really cool, so it shows that of how important this game is to people. But the amount of it really feels like there's two different games shoved into one, but they still work cohesively with each other, which is really interesting. And there's just so many different types of mechanics, so many different things thrown in that it really built up a huge, massive world. And then, of course, throwing American McGee's name on there. And a lot of people probably will, you know, recognize that name, especially from the Alice series. But he was one of the work, or he worked with id Software for the Doom series. He was a level designer there as well. Uh, it just, you put his name on it and you're instantly going to get like a weird cult following to these titles. But yeah. this one actually, I would say, totally warrants it, right? And like, I would say that all American McGee games do warrant that cult following because they have such an interesting stylistic flair to them. But this is a kind of a departure from what American McGee, I would say, is mainly known for. A lot of his games are very kind of like gruesome in a sense, right? Like he likes a little bit of gore, a little bit of horror. I mean, look at Doom, right? Look at Alice. And you see that in those titles. But Scrapland is very different. It's set on Earth, right? But Earth without any humans. All the humans have left and left this trash planet to the robots. And then the robots have then flourished and survived and thrived and they've actually made a really interesting system where people can't die in this or the robots can't die your consciousness gets uploaded into was it called the matrix i believe their matrix i think i think it was called the matrix so their consciousness gets uploaded in the matrix and then you have to basically pay for lives so cash is king in this world which i think is really funny right so it's kind of like a a whole homage to the idea of capitalism. And it's funny to see like a set of robots evolving to then becoming so dependent on the idea of cash. And some of the abilities that are in this game, like I'll, I'll go over one of them that I think is just kind of hilarious, but you can you can change your consciousness into a different robot, right? And one of the robots that you can actually hop into is the banker, which is actually just a straight up vampire. But instead of sucking blood or energy out of the other robots, you're taking money out of their pockets. Huh. So, <laughs> like It's just a really funny mechanic. Or you can be a politician. And the politician, what he does, his special ability is he talks people to boredom to the point where they fall asleep. So then you can sneak past little areas and stuff like that. So like each each robot and there's actually 14 different robots that you can be in this title uh have their own abilities attached to them in which they are necessary to actually complete the game itself but that's not the only thing about this game right there's a whole another subset with the races and the battle arenas um as far as racing and battling in a ship and the ship you can then mod make and add stuff to you can buy new ship, ships and stuff like that 
you can change out your guns to get a different combination of stuff like and do you like fetch missions and stuff it's pretty crazy how much is actually in this title and it's just like so cleverly done the art style is amazing and i think the biggest takeaway i have from this after doing a lot of research on it is that there's only one animator for this game one person did all of the animations for this title and there's so much going on that is such an impressive endeavor like hats off kudos to that guy like it's insane how much work was done for that because each mech that you're in has their own unique animations and the models aren't simple like this game came out in 2004 and it looks gorgeous right like the animations look amazing and the robots have like such great little like little hints of things on them like the main character that you play his chest plate and where his heart is is gold it's actually made out of pure gold where you're a hero with a heart of solid gold right like it's just like kind of it's a little on the nose right but it's a nice little touch and it's just something that little extra bit that i think is just kind of like a quirkiness that you get from American Me Geek games that just make it live on forever, in my opinion. So it's mm-hmm. it's a really, really cool title that I'd be more curious about checking out uh, soon, hopefully. Yeah, I feel like with American McGee, it's interesting because I, I mean, obviously I like Quake and Doom and all like Hex and stuff that he worked on. Once he got into it where he coined his name onto the titles of those games, like the Alice series is amazing. I think to this day it's probably still his even though I feel like Scrapland is probably the most the the biggest game in a sense like the actual like game itself is big, not like the reception of it, but with Alice, you know, it has a very big cult following to it. Mm-hmm. And for good reason, you know, it's imaginative. You take a, a spin on Alice in Wonderland and it's it's different. You know, you look at Scrapland, the art, it's different. Like it's, it always has a cool touch. And I will admit, American McGee's Bad Day LA was probably his lowest point. Not gonna lie. Like seeing gameplay of that and knowing what it is it's kind of like how did he go from scrapland to that yeah. but well they you know, all can't did, be hits right <laughs> yeah and he did grim after which is it's his touch again on a on a fairy tale and it's cool you know it's interesting seeing how quite a few of his games are based off of fairy tales and dark imaginations of it and then you look at scrapland it's like not dark at all it's mm-hmm. robots it's it's cool and the one thing I'll say about uh, the developers, uh, Mercury Steam, uh, once who made Scrapland, it was their first game. And this was back 2004. You know, they they did the 3D Castlevania games, which, you know, not the best either. But they were cool. They were different. You know, I think nowadays you can play those games and I think they're all right. Whereas I remember back then people hated on them so much. but what they're known for recently is they did Metroid Dread. And Man, I mean, crazy. I, I enjoyed what I played of that game. I feel like I just kind of got over it after a while, but it's a good polished game and it's cool to see how they're still around. And 
you know, they don't make bad games. So, I mean, that's, that's saying something too. Mm-hmm. And Scrapland is just, it's weird, but it, it's kind of cool. It's, it's kind of what you would expect on an Xbox when you look at it. Like it's odd, it's different, but it just works. Um, I think like you were saying, they tried too much mm-hmm. or they did too many different things. Like the, the city, everything it's huge. Like the on foot, like, places where you run to it is crazy how big it is like it it feels almost like a gta game with like how far you can walk and just how much there is to explore and it's fascinating because i mean this was 2004 you know like open world games were just kind of becoming a bigger thing and you have this game and it's like whoa like i mean i wouldn't expect it when you look at this game I would think it's more like a Ratchet and Clank kind of game. But this game really did try to do some cool stuff, you know, with the the ship battles, which were very interesting. And it's it's cool. You know, I think I want to check out the remaster to see, like, how much it got fixed. Because I remember the original Xbox, I think there was a lot of, like, frame drops, which to me is kind of annoying. But and it makes sense for how big the game was, to be yeah. honest. Um, what an ambitious project for a first game. That's crazy. That's that's the thing that keeps sticking out in my mind. I'm like, dude, first game. Like, it's pretty damn big, you know? And I feel like it wasn't really looked at as big when it came out. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I wasn't fully into keeping up with game news in the early 2000s like that. But... Like, I remember seeing adverts for a magazine, but I never saw, like, blow-up fanfare for it, which kind of sucks, because it really did seem like it was trying to be innovative. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame that it felt like it got kind of forgotten over time, but it's nice to see that with the remaster, it's starting to get popularity again, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm curious to see if uh, some more stuff might be popping up with this guy's name on it, you know? Or... There's something else in this style, at least, you know, but it yeah, I definitely would want to check out the remaster to see how well all of those things play together, because it it's a lot. There is a lot going on there, and I feel like it would be kind of hard to balance everything that way. But and then just remembering when it came out, it's like, God damn, man, they put so much shit in it. <laughs> like it, with the amount of stuff that it was talked about in this game, it really feels like it would have been a game that came out like last year. Right. Like with how Mm -hmm. ambitious it was but yeah for 2004 like holy crap that's impressive all right so the last game that we want to talk about is definitely one that has a pretty big cult following and it's a title that whenever you bring up the name there's a certain amount of people that will be like oh my god thank you for talking about it this is my favorite game which is pretty crazy because I honestly I've never heard about it before until about a couple weeks ago but after hearing about it like I I would say that if I played this whenever it first came out, this definitely probably would have been my favorite game, 100%. And I probably could say that it will definitely be in one of my top tier lists going forward. Um, That game, of course, is Phantom Dust. Phantom Dust is a very interesting, weird game, and it's kind of hard to break it down into a specific 
genre, but the easiest way to explain it would be a real-time strategy game, right? But the way that you actually battle out in this title is very different. It, you can say that it's much more similar to an actual card game. So it's answering or it's posing that question, at least, of what if card games happened in real life? Like they do in the animes, right? Like you watch these animes like Yu-Gi-Oh! People are battling and, you know, like their beasts are taking out giant buildings and all this stuff. People are going to Shadow Realm, all that crap, right? But that's what Phantom Dust does. And it's pretty cool to see and i really do like the pacing behind it it's not super fast paced but it does at least give you something to do in the downtime that a modern day card game doesn't right so the story behind it is actually kind of interesting as well where everybody wakes up and has amnesia nobody knows about their past anything they just kind of have these little remnants of ruins uh in their memories and that's about it really and you're kind of trying to unfold that little avenue or like figure out what's exactly going on. And out in the real world or out in the world itself, there is this thing that's called phantom dust. And phantom dust is actually the dust that is creating that amnesic, you know, uh, syndrome, I guess is the West. Yeah, it's causing everyone to have amnesia. Trying to think of a different way of saying that, but no. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> <laughs> and but what the Phantom Dust is act is doing too. So it has two different effects. It actually causes the amnesia, but it's also awakening some powers within certain people that are um, susceptible to it, right? And you happen to be one of the people that wakes up. Um, I think you get picked up by a group that's called the Vision, uh, and you have to work with them. And you are you have powers too, right? So whenever you're going through, you get put into like different battle arenas. And before that, you have to set up your deck. Um, and it's kind of interesting too, because typically with card games, like you make a deck and you run with it, right? But one of the things I do really enjoy about this, and some people in the reviews did say that this gets a little tedious at times, but you have to change your deck up depending on not just who you're going to be battling against or what mission you're going to be going and accomplishing, but the arena itself, too. Like, you have to balance based off of that as well. Um, if you are in a very small, cramped arena, then long-range weaponry is going to be really hard to actually hit people because you can actually dodge, move out of the way, hide under structures, depending on what attack is being thrown at you. It's really, really cool. And both the attack and defensive tools that you have are based on what cards you have available to you. So you can play very defensively, or you can have a nice mixture of both, or you can just go all-out offense. Really interesting, really up to you. And this game actually does have a multiplayer component to it, which is really exciting to hear. And it's it's really interesting that it has it still has a strong community behind it where you can hop into some forums or, you know, some groups and things like that and say, like, hey, I'm about to hop on Phantom Dust who wants to play around. And you might you more than likely will get somebody who wants to hop in and play still for a game that came out in 2004, right? Like, it's pretty crazy that there's still people who are actively playing this. And the unfortunate thing about Phantom Dust is I think it was just so kind of bizarre for its time. It, it's such a different style of gameplay that it really mm -hmm. did not do well when it first came out. I believe it sold only like 50,000 units uh, in the first month between both Japanese and Western market, which is really nothing. That's it's really, really bad. 
unfortunately, because this is this has become like a definite cult classic style of game. And it just looks so rad. And it, the one thing that really, really, really blows my mind about this game, and not just this one, but all of them that, we, that we've been talking about, is for being games that came out on the Xbox in the early 2000s, the graphics are phenomenal. Like, they look so, so good. And in particular, Phantom Dust looks amazing for when it came out. Like, I, I yeah. don't, like, they really pushed that engine as far as it could possibly go to make a really beautiful product. And it's it's really, really cool. And what's great about this is it's free right now on Xbox Live, right? Like, you can go play mm-hmm. this right now, which is so cool. And it was definitely one of those weird ones. It's like, why this game? Right. Like this technically fails. This is technically a failure game. But why bring this one back over all of the other games that probably did better on the Xbox? Why this title? And I think it's because of the innovation that was attached to it. This is a really innovative and different style of game. It's something really interesting uh, that I think definitely needs to be remembered, needs to be played, and needs to be studied because there needs to be more games like this. Like card games are on the rise right now, and we're getting so many of them that it they're getting kind of boring. And I know that's weird for me to say because I love card games, but <laughs> I'm getting kind of over them. And this seems like a really nice way of having that card game mechanic, but making it fresh again. But it's so weird to say that we're making it fresh again when we're talking about a game that came out almost 20 years ago, right? Like they fixed Mm -hmm. it 20 years ago. They found out how to keep it fresh, how to keep it active. And we seem to have forgotten it. So it's it's very clever and really, really cool. But I definitely want this is one that I definitely want to check out more of. Yeah, it's when I learned more about this game. All I can think about was this game is perfect for you. Mm-hmm. Like the way the battle system is, everything about it, it's just, it's cool. And I remember hearing about this in the magazine. Um, and granted, remember, I wasn't really big in the Xbox back in the day, but I remember always wanting to play Panzer Dragoon mm. yeah. as a kid because I didn't have a Sega Saturn. And knowing that the creator of Panzer Dragoon worked on this too. Yukio Futasunagi, I think that's how you say it. I'm really bad at that. (laughs) But um, he worked on all the Panzer Dragoon titles and then, you know, worked on Phantom Dust. And even though they're totally different games, there's something about his style. And it's, it's not that he's able to make cult classics, but there's some sort of polish to it that just make it stand out. Mm -hmm. And I recently played Phantom Dust because, you know, it is free, which is awesome. And it is really cool. And it blows my mind that we really don't have anything similar to it nowadays. Like, like you said, card-based battle games to me have gotten so boring that I don't even, when I see a card battle in a game, I'm done. I'm not looking at it. You know, like for me, my card battling games peaked at like Slay the Spire and that was one I played not too long ago, like Loop Hero, like doing something different. 
with it, right? Hmm. Like all these other games try to mimic Slay the Spire or um, Monster, like all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's cool. I get it. People out there love those games. But for me, I'm just like, I'm kind of over it. Right. And this title, even though they're not showing cards in your face, they're not, you're not building a card deck, but you're playing a spell deck. And it's interesting because it, you know, you feel like you're playing a card game, but you're not actually playing one, right? you know, and it's, it's done in such an interesting style that, yeah, we just haven't seen anything like this. And it's sad that it didn't blow up over here, but I understand why it didn't, you know, it's going back to the Xbox not being super big in Japan or really anywhere outside the United States. And this is the kind of game that they like consumers in Japan would seem to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Like if this came out on the PlayStation, it probably would have done a lot better. Yeah. Just because of how little the Xbox sold in Japan. Like it was very little because there weren't many exclusive games to Japan. And that's a big thing. You know, you look at the PlayStation, they have tons of exclusives in Japan. And with the Xbox, like some of its niche titles like this, they're so fascinating and so different. And it's just sad that it never got big. And like you were saying, you bring this title up to some people, at least people that know about it and played it, they go crazy. They Mm -hmm. love it. And it's, I love finding games like this that have a community like that. And it's cool that the multiplayer still works because this seems like the perfect kind of game for it. You know, the the graphics look great. Even though it's an Xbox title, it looks like a 360 title. Yeah. And it it ran well for what it was. Like, it ran really well, which is another surprising thing. And I think that really it, speaks to the design aspect behind it, like the actual game development. Because they mm-hmm. really pushed the the actual like graphics heavily, right? So like this game could have easily been like more open worldy, but it was broken down into small chunks, right? Whenever you go into the battle, you go into a smaller battle arena, you go to the main hub world, like it's a different different area, right? So it is broken up that way, which I think allowed them to pump more resources into the graphics themselves. Because they're not loading up a whole huge terrain. Uh, there's something like very smaller specific to that area. So they, it's really clever design because it gives you the illusion of a bigger world, but it, and it allows them to actually push the graphics engine that much further, which is really clever. Yeah. And it's interesting knowing that Microsoft was the one that funded this game. Mm-hmm. They, they funded it because they wanted to reach the, the Japanese market. And, you know, with, um, I'll just call him Yukio because it's easier to say the first name. Um, <laughs> it's uh, he, Futa Futasuji. Futasuji, mm-hmm. perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of in charge of judging whether you know a title a title was could release in Japan, mm-hmm. and you it said in like 2007 he decided to split away from that and he made his own kind of company like he co-founded it 
And this company, like they've, they're still making games to this day. It's just, they're different. You know, like he wanted to make a sequel to Phantom Dust, but you know, Microsoft never said anything about wanting to do it. You know, they're too afraid to be a failure again. There was a, there was a little teaser hint in 2014 at E3 of like mm-hmm. making a like sequel or remastering Phantom Dust, but that project ultimately failed and they just dropped out from it. Yeah, like it said that he wanted to do a Kickstarter for it, but I mean, it never really worked out, which is a bummer. You know, I think if they were to make a game like this now, I think it'd do really well. Yeah. You know, I think if you slap a multiplayer focus on it i think it would actually be a really damn cool pvp game this would be you a know like pvp game yeah it'd be fun you know think about a more interactive card based game even though it's not card but you have your loadout of spells it's just it's cool you know i know spell break kind of seemed like that a little bit which was this like battle royale where you're like a mage mm-hmm. and you can pick up different spells on the ground and make your own build like that i had high hopes but for this, that one but yeah yeah i think they're actually closing that down because they just got bought out which is a bummer because i actually really enjoyed that Mm. but you know we really haven't seen anything like this and it's just i don't know i deep down it'd be really cool to see what a new game would look like this if it came out yeah sorry my grammar really fucked up there i got a brain (laughs) fart but um at the same time i'm also like i would just love to see him do another panzer dragoon yeah like that's something I think I would want to see even more. And I know they had the remake of the first game a few years ago, and I heard that they might be doing a sequel, but or the sequel's remaster, but I would just love to see more exploration in that franchise as well. Because, I mean, he, he knows what he's doing. He's a master of it. And it's just, I don't know. It It sucks that his titles just didn't really live up to hype yeah uh, he uh, did just come out with another game not too long ago uh actually 2020 was the initial release and then it got re-released on the switch and everything in 2021 uh that's oh, uh yeah. world's end club and it's actually a pretty cool side-scrolling game but I, like i'm really curious and i i want to follow this developer now because he has like a, a weird polish to his stuff you know, like mm-hmm. you can really see the passion behind his work and World's End Club. It does have mixed reviews, but it looks really interesting. It looks like a different kind of departure from the side scrolling game. Um, and it, it is really interesting. I mean, the initial release was on, you know, like Apple Arcade for iOS. So it might be really simple, but I'm sure there's a lot of really interesting aspects to it. So if you are curious about uh, him and other games he's working on, I mean, that's an easy one to pick up right now. And just kind of check it out and see where their style has gone. Because the style, I mean, the art in that game is just like, holy shit, phenomenal. Which is the same thing I can say about Phantom Dust, right? Like, he he always has such a, like, distinguished look behind his titles that are very, very interesting and very cool. And they always, like, push it a little bit, right? And I would say World's End Club does that. It pushes that style, in its own mm-hmm. way, right? So, like, he he definitely has a lot of pull, you can tell, and a lot of passion behind his games, and I really do appreciate that. But these games, we've talked about 
three little hidden gem games, and there's definitely a lot more hidden gems on the Xbox, not just the Xbox, but Xbox 360 as well, when they started to really depart into some more big JRPGs and things like that, and kind of move away from the the classic idea of them just being a shooter console, which is what they're really well known for. And they do show shooters very well, but it is really nice to kind of see these titles, to see them still loved and adored today, right? Like they're, they're still really much appreciated and it shows the appreciation when they're coming back on things like Xbox Live and stuff like that, or Game Pass, you know, like the fact that they're, they're available today is really awesome to hear because these games need to be remembered. And it like Game Pass is a fantastic way of creating a sense of game preservation. And for any developers, designers, or aspiring game designers in the future, like you need to play titles like this that really push the envelope a little bit. Even if they technically did fail, they did something unique and different, right? And then you gotta kinda analyze like, why did they actually fail? Like what, what was it? Was it a marketing issue? Probably, right? Is it just a gameplay that wasn't explained thoroughly, right? Or it's just so new to the audience that we don't know how to understand it or what we're actually getting into. That's possibility too, right? But they definitely did something really interesting. And these, all of these games have laid an interesting groundwork for the titles we see today. They really like it's funny when we talk about big title games not really pushing the envelope anymore. Like they might be pushing things graphically, but there's a lot of rinse and repeat in like AAA style games. Whereas now we have to look back at indie games to actually see any sort of innovation. But why not look back at some of these older games too? You know, because some of these older games really did innovate the hell out of their genres. They just might not have had the market that we have nowadays, right? They didn't have Steam. They didn't have like the, the easily reachable marketplaces where they can just pump everything out to. And they're getting kind of forgotten and lost, which is a real shame because these titles are fantastic and they deserve to be studied, remembered and adored. But anyway, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you all next week with the next set of awesome games uh, that we find to explore, study, and bring to you. But until then, uh, bye for now. Bye.